Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and joining me to talk about the Seahawks' second loss of the season as they fall 30-16 to to the Baltimore Ravens. Two losses at home now. I'm joined by SeahawksDraftBlog.com's Rob Staten. Rob, how you doing? Uh, I would feel a lot better, Brandon, if uh, the Seahawks had played a lot better today. Um, and I think that it was a revealing loss. You know, I think we've been, even with the team at 5-1, and one, and they certainly deserve some credit to get to 5-1 and one in the first place, it's not easy to, to win five games to start a season like that. And it was the best start to a season they'd had since the Super Bowl year in 2013. I do think that we were still waiting to find out exactly where this team was going and the, and the direction they were heading and where they are right now in this sort of modern rebuild that they've had over the last couple of seasons and sadly I think today's game as well as the Saints game has pulled the curtain back on where they really are which is that there's a lot of work still to do well there's a lot of work to do on defense in particular but you know when I look at the score is it as easy to say look the the Ravens scored 30 points they win by two touchdowns the Seahawks gave up two touchdowns on offense one with the pick six with by Russell Wilson and the DK Metcalf fumble returned for a touchdown for the Ravens. I mean, ultimately it was the difference in the game, but do you feel like there's more to it? Yeah, I do think there's more to it. I, I think it be it certainly wouldn't be unfair to look at the pick six and say that that was a huge momentum change in the game because it, the Seahawks had started that drive at their 45-yard line. They'd got decent field position in the first place. Then there was a personal foul penalty against the Ravens. So the Seahawks kind of started on midfield. They were leading 10-6. They were driving. It was a third and six, I think, throw that Wilson was picked off and then it led to the, to the interception for a touchdown. And, it, you know, it felt like as that drive was progressing that they were going to score they were going to go up 17 points to six that this was going to be the thing that Seahawks fans have been hoping for which was a, a fairly straightforward home victory and they looked like a team that was five and one at that time right up until the point of the pick six yeah. but what I would say about that is that off the back of that, Russell Wilson then led, I think it was something like a 79-yard drive or something like that. You know, Maybe not 79, maybe sort of a 60, 70-yard drive to get them into field goal range. And they kicked a field goal, and at halftime it was 13-0. And the Seahawks started with possession at the start of the second half. So any kind of momentum swing was kind of snatched back with a subsequent drive. And then they started level after halftime. And it was that second-half performance that really bothered me because I, it just felt like the Ravens imposed their will on mm. the Seahawks, which is what the Saints did. You know, the the Ravens dominated both lines of scrimmage. They harassed Russell Wilson. They loaded the box and said to the Seahawks, you are not going to be able to run today. And the Seahawks, who are a team that wants to be able to run and pride themselves, and Pete Carroll speaks about running the ball, reacted to the Ravens stacking the box by saying... Ah, yeah, we better throw the ball a bit more because that's what they're showing. And at one point with the game, and I think it was still tied at the time, the Seahawks had thrown 27 times and run 16 times. So the Ravens were dictating to the Seahawks their offensive game plan, which is not the way that this team is set up. They want to be the bully. They want to be the team that's imposing themselves on the opponent. And then on, on the other side of the ball, you know, the Seattle's defensive line really had no answer to Lamar Jackson. You have to give Jackson credit. He was scrambling around. He's incredibly difficult when he gets into space in that second level. He's probably a 4-3 runner himself. And he's he's got incredible agility and he, he sort of cuts and he changes direction very well to go with the speed. He is physical. He was like that at Louisville as well in college. So he's very difficult to bring down. But there was 
no answer there. There was no real pressure. Once again, there was no, there was only one sack. And I think that's when Jackson fell over and Brandon Jackson kind of just touched him down. Right. You know, the defensive line is not playing well at all. It's then exposing the linebackers who are supposed to be the strength of the defense. And they're getting exposed because the defensive line's not doing a good enough job. And then it's kind of this ripple effect. And then the secondary is being exposed because the front seven's not good enough. So the whole defensive unit looks like a bottom third unit in the NFL. And if you are a team that's looking at the Seahawks right now, I'm sorry to go on this kind of like this this uh, long point that I'm making here. I'll, I'll finish this. Eh? But the, the point is, is that if you look at the Seahawks, if you're an opponent, you say, take away the running game and get a little bit of pressure on Russell Wilson. They're going to struggle to beat teams that are as good as the Ravens and the Saints because the defense can't compensate. And in the past, you know, in 2013, 2014, if the offense played a game like this, you could rely on the defense to keep things tight so that the offense could have a chance to make amends later on. But in this game, that wasn't happening. And, and then, you know, again, it's a, it's a Carroll feature. He, t- he, he preaches explosive plays, the importance of explosive plays and turnovers and running the ball. The Ravens ran the ball, took away the run. The Ravens had explosive plays in the running game with Jackson and the passing game with Jackson. And they had two turnovers that led to touchdowns. The Seahawks had none of that. All right, Rob. Well, I think in that long-winded answer, you covered all the topics. Uh, we can go ahead and close it out here. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's, it's, it's one of those days. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to get it all out. And I, I mean, I, I feel frustrated too because you know, I, I knew going into this game, I was going to be frustrated by Lamar Jackson, and it was. It was frustrating to watch in certain situations where you knew he was gonna, he was just gonna take off with the ball, and it seemed like there was nobody there. But then I look at his stat line, Rob, and I see of nine of. 20 for 143 yards through the air. You know, that's not particularly great for a, for a stat line. His rushing yards, 14 attempts, 116 yards. If, if I would have known they would have gotten that in, you know, paired with his passing stat line, I probably would have taken that at the start of the day. It's just that, yeah, I think I do put a lot of this on the Seahawks defense. And earlier on this week, I I had on Adam Nathan and we talked about just how the different, how we'd rank out the different position groups and the linebackers were the last one off the board. And I don't know if it's because of the defensive line or if it's just because of the, the aging linebackers or because of the ability of other teams to scheme up the linebackers based on Pete's wanting to keep the, the base defense on the field for the primary portion of of the game. I think it made sense against the Ravens in particular, because you know, they, they do tend to run uh, so frequently. So that would have made sense to me. But the stat line with Jackson, I would have taken that. The stat line with Mark Andrews with his two receptions for uh, 39 yards with I don't know how many drops he had, three or four on the day. I would have taken that. No Hollywood Brown in this game. Holy smokes. The, it was all set up for the Seahawks to to be in position to you know, to have this game work out so well, they get the early touchdown and they're, they're up 10 to six and yeah, it just all shifted on that pick six. Yeah, look, I mean, there's some fair points in there. I mean, what I will say about Jackson's stat line is he had, there was three drops by Mark Andrews. So if, if he gets those catches, you know, his day ends up looking like 12 of 20 passing, you know, probably about 170 yards and then 116 yards rushing. I mean, that's that's a great day. I mean, they ran for 200 yards. They ran for 199 yards as a team, which is, you know, you any team that runs for 200 yards is, is often going to win the game. Yeah, and averaging and, 5.7 yards a carry, too. Yeah, and and I just think with the it's certainly there are definitely issues with the defense. I mean, the defensive line has regressed. You know, they've lost. Frank Clark had flaws, but Frank Clark got to the quarterback. 
and you can rely on him to do that. And I don't think they've got anybody at the moment they can rely on to get to the quarterback. That's just not happening. Um, that's not, you know, Jadavian Clowney, people are, teams are, are zoning in on him. He's been uh, double teamed. You know, people are saying he's the key. You're going to take him away. And he's never been, you know, a sort of that speed rusher that Frank could be, and that explosive edge rusher that could still make those plays happen. Um, when you look inside, you know, I, I just, this is Jaron Reed's first game, so we're going to have to give him a bit of a chance to get back, but there's just not enough there. And I think it's an interesting question with the linebackers because I don't know whether it is the defensive line that is completely to blame for this or not. I mean, Bobby Wagner's had two great years when he had Jaron Reed with his 10 and a half sacks last year, you know, playing really well in the middle. And the year before when Sheldon Richardson was there, Bobby Wagner's had great years. When the defensive line is poor like it is this year, Bobby Wagner just doesn't look anywhere near the same. I mean, it's very hard to watch Bobby Wagner. And I know it's kind of, people have, are very wary of criticising Bobby because he is such a legendary player and he's just been paid. But when you're actually watching him out there at the moment, it's it's hard to sort of see him and then look at the way Luke Keekley's playing and make the case that he's he is the number one linebacker in the league. He definitely was the last couple of years, but right now he's not playing that way. KJ Wright has sort of fits and starts and, and Kendricks is just not having the impact that we all hoped. Now again, is it the D-line? Is it the linebackers? But I do think there's kind of a ripple effect there. I just don't think the defensive line is good enough. It's not stopping the run. It's not creating pressure. They seem to be so focused as a game plan on stopping the opponent's running game that it it does sort of limit their ability to rush the passer and yet they're not stopping the running games. At least they haven't in the last couple of weeks. Um, but I, you know, just sort of to change to finish this latest rant, I think that the, <laughs> the offensive side of things does warrant some blame because again, you know, all the Ravens did today was stack the box and say, you are not running the ball. Mm-hmm. And the Seahawks response to that was to go against everything that they set out to be, which is to run the ball and to be balanced. They were lopsided. That was as lopsided an offensive game plan as we've seen since Chicago of week two last year when they were throwing and throwing and throwing. They just practically, you know, they didn't abandon the run, but it was a side issue. They just threw all the time. And that was because the Ravens dictated to the Seahawks that they were going to throw because they were winning at the line of scrimmage, because they were stacking the box. And the Seahawks did not have an answer. And for me, I'm kind of coming off this game and I'm sort of thinking, right, where are the Seahawks right now? An inconsistent offense with a magical quarterback who is going to win them games this year and will continue to win games and there'll be exciting wins. They've won five games. They will win some more, mainly because of Russell Wilson. And that they will be able to run some weeks and they won't be able to run others. But they are completely reliant on this quarterback. And then I look at the weapons that he's actually got. Tyler Lock is great. DK Metcalf's very inconsistent. Mm-hmm. He has fantastic plays. He has bad plays. He's lost Will Disley now. So he's lost a huge weapon there. He was kind of taking the production that Doug Baldwin was providing. And then you've got Jaron Brown and you've got David Moore. And I look at that and I think, oh man, they've got to help Russell out more here. You know, there's eight days to the trade deadline. If they want to improve and they want to take a step forward, they ain't going to be able to trade for anybody on defense right now that's going to improve this unit. There just isn't that guy out there. This needs a, a quite a significant rebuild, I think, in the offseason. Um, but they can go out and get an offensive weapon to make up for the loss of Disley. And I think they've got to do that. You know, Rob, I feel like they they have what they need on offense. So I, if they were to add another piece on offense, like O.J. Howard, for instance, we've talked about him. I don't know if that's the piece. I I don't know if there's a, another guy out there who you could add at, at tight end that would kind of round out the offense. It just doesn't. It, it seems to me that you would be addressing 
an, an area of strength more so than an area of weakness because I feel like the weakness is on the defensive side of the ball. Mm. Although, you know, I could say I could especially point to on offense because right before the 53 yard field goal, you know, they had it. What was it? Fourth and two. It, those types of maybe it was fourth and three, but those types of situations where you're kind of in position to where you could go for it or uh, decide to kick the field goal. You know, we haven't seen Myers make a lot of those kicks this year. And the thing that it tells me is that what I'm seeing now with the inability to kind of run the ball when the Ravens are stacking the box and also not going for it on and or even not being able to pick it up when you have a third and one, uh, third and two, fourth and one. There doesn't seem to be a lot of trust with the group up front in those short yarded situations. Yeah, I, I completely 100% agree with you that the biggest needs are on defense. Um, but I'm, unfortunately, I kind of just look at the landscape right now and the names that are being linked. And on defense, you're seeing people like Vic Beasley being touted as a, a trade. And I'm thinking, is Vic Beasley going to change the fortunes of the Seahawks defense? I, I have a hard time believing that. Yeah. And then Leonard Williams at the Jets, they're apparently willing to give him away and nobody seems to be that interested. I, I just don't see him changing anything and you know Jalen Ramsey was you know a genuine elite player you know if, if they felt that they needed to go and make a big splash on defense then that was an option but clearly they didn't, they didn't want to go down that road and he's gone to LA instead and then I actually look at the offensive names and I kind of think well the Seahawks are who they are this year you know they're a team that is, is dependent on the quarterback and occasionally the running game but mainly the quarterback and he's lost one of his best weapons in Will Disley so if the if the when you see AJ Green being linked and you see OJ Howard and Hooper in Atlanta and one or two other offensive players that are being linked as, as possibilities and there's Tyler Eifert and people like that. I just think and it doesn't have to be like a, I'm not saying it has to be a first round pick or a second round pick. I kind of feel like they need to go and just do something to say to Wilson, you're you're the guy this year you know our fate lies with you if we're going to have a good season it's kind of up to you my man um, mm -hmm. we're going to try and make your life a little bit easier here while we still can do something because I just to me um, on a day like this they, they were completely dependent on the quarterback and, and you know Lamar Jackson was able to do his thing and Russell wasn't and I kind of felt sorry for Russell the running game had been taken away and his main weapon is Tyler Lockett and aside from that he's got a rookie it was inconsistent and Jaron Brown and David Moore. But you're right. The main issues are on the defense. I mean, this is a flawed team. It's been a flawed team since week one. It's nowhere near where they want it to be. We will know that this team is where it needs to be and where it wants to be when they are running the ball with greater consistency and the defense is not in the bottom third. That it's actually a top 15 at least unit who can create pressure that can take away the running game and can force turnovers and it's just not doing any of those things and my fear Brandon is that there are going to be at least another game or two like this this year they've still got to play the Niners twice they've got to play the Rams again sure. um, that there are teams that will look at the Seahawks and say we can get after them that we can impose our will on them, that we can be the bully against them and it's the Seahawks who want to be the bully and I think, listen they're, they're um, 12 and 8 at home since 2017. I mean, what's happened to CenturyLink Field? Where's that great home field advantage gone? You could put it on the fans and say, where was where has the home field advantage gone? But in these rainy day games, well, for one, we have a team that is in Seattle and plays in the rain. And for some reason, they're having a hard time playing in the rain. 
because yeah. they're giving up plays on special teams. They're giving up big plays on defense. I look back at the Saints game and I look at this game and I can't really say, yeah, well, the defense, they played well enough. But if you give up two turnovers for touchdowns, yeah, you're going to lose going up against the Saints. They give up special teams points. You know, it's there's no margin for error. And so I can't see pointing the blame at home field advantage for these two losses. Yeah, I, definitely. That's that wasn't my intention. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it's down to the fans yeah. um, or the the environment or anything like that. Um, I just wonder. I, I just, I you know, we're, we're all so used to the Seahawks being great at home yeah. and and winning at home, and even when they didn't have teams that are even as good as this one, really, or certainly the, the the previous years, they were always good at home. Now that even during the Super Bowl years, there was always one game, wasn't there? There was always <laughs> usually against Bruce Arians and the Cardinals. Well, you um, can even wonder if it's a defense versus offense thing, but I think back to the Mike Holmgren years. And that was an offensive football team. The defenses were mediocre yeah. and they always, you know, were consistently, you know, seven and one, six and two in, in those home stretches too. Yeah. And, and that's all I'm kind of wondering here is that why, I mean, they were six and two last year, um, the year before they were four and four, now they're two and two. And I just kind of wonder what is it, you know, what is, why are they not winning more games at home? You know, that was always kind of the reliant thing that you could say, well, the, we can rely on the Seahawks to probably win seven, maybe even eight games at home because yeah. of the great home field advantage and the noise and everything, and the, the, the benefits that come with that. And then you could sort of, you'd look at the road schedule and say, okay, where are your sort of two or three wins here to go with the great wins that you're going to get at home to get this team into the playoffs? And where could you maybe pinch an extra game or two to win a, a, a first round buy in the playoffs? Whereas like now you kind of look at it and they're unbeaten on the road and at home, the two and two and, and the two losses have been shellackings and the two wins were against the winless Bengals team by a point. And then, you know, the Rams game, which was a fantastic, exciting game, um, but could easily, have, you know, it was a coin toss at the end, whether that kick sneaks inside or goes on the other side of the post. So I, I just wonder why they aren't winning more at home. I don't know what the answer is. Turnovers. I, just why. I know the answer. It's turnovers, Rob. They keep <laughs> turning the ball over more than they get the football. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of issues, and, yeah. and that's and that in itself is, um, you know, indicative of them not being where they need to be because you know the last year they did, did such a good job, didn't they, with the, the lack of turnovers? You know, they were they nearly broke the record, didn't they, for the season with uh, the lack of the number the, the the small number of turnovers they had last year. Yeah, and then that's completely gone this year. It's turnover here, turnover there. You know, it's a turnover every week. Um, some really backbreaking ones that have either been touchdowns like today or they've been returned to the five yard line or whatever and, and given great field position to an opponent um there have been far too many and that's a carol staple and another carol staple is not giving up big plays on on defense which they're doing another carol staple is turning the ball over on defense which they're not doing um and running the ball consistently which they're not doing so uh, there's there's a lot of work to do I, I felt at the start of the year that they were they were going to be 10 and 6 and that the the next off season was going to be the big off season with a haul of picks and a bit of cap money to spend that they, they could really do some good business in the next off season and i hate to say it, but i kind of think that's that's about right i think that they could still get up to 10 wins 11 wins quite easily but I still think that you know when it actually matters they're going to come up against an opponent possibly like not the Ravens obviously because they're in the AFC but the Saints or the 49ers or the Rams and we may well see a, a game like this in, in an important game unfortunately and there are some important games coming up on the schedule so 
let's look ahead to what some of those big games might be coming up after the break. I'm joined by Rob Staten of SeahawksDraftBlog.com, and we're looking ahead to the Seahawks' next few games on the schedule. They have a get-right game now coming up against the Falcons on Sunday. Everybody seems to be able to beat them on the road. So, And it looked like Matt Ryan went out with an injury. I don't know how what his status is going to be going into this coming Sunday. So then they come back home and they have the Bucs. Gosh, you hope that uh, they're able to get back on track at home with a game like that. But then I look at that stretch, Rob, where they play the 49ers down in Santa Clara. Then they have the bye week and then they go on the road to Philly come back home for Monday night against the Vikings and then their second game against the Rams. So it, it, that could be a really tough stretch of games right there. Those four games. Yeah, it really could. And, you know, it could be the the complete opposite of what we've seen sometimes in the past when the Seahawks really hit the straps late in the season. That mm-hmm. is such a gauntlet of games that, you, you know, you, you, it's it's why you kind of looked at a game like today and said, OK, the Ravens, yeah, you know, they, they got hammered by Cleveland. Um, they've they've beaten bad teams. They haven't really, you know, shown against a good team and had a good quality win yet. And well, they, they got that today. And the Seahawks have dropped two two home games, you know, playing Teddy Bridgewater. Obviously, that looks like a, you know, I suppose you could refer to that as a better loss than it seemed at the time, given that the, <laughs> the, the Saints have just won and won and won ever since then. They've gone real momentum. And, you know, Sean Payton's done an amazing job, as has Teddy Bridgewater, because um, they had no Alvin Kamara as well today to beat the Bears. So, you know, they, they've done it done tremendously well but you know the Seahawks are you know they could easily get they could easily win the next two be seven and two and and then you're kind of thinking uh, you know there's <laughs> there's a lot of losable <laughs> games there and there's the games teams they usually play better in the second half though oh, so well, I, I am kind of feel, you know <laughs> I, I hope I hope that uh, rings true uh, this year as it has in past years but if, if we're going to have sort of the positives uh, slant on this, I suppose what you could say is they do play the Niners twice. So that's yes. two opportunities to beat them. The other ho- hope is that the Niners, and we see it every year, how often do you see a team that just peaks too early? Mm-hmm. And then it actually comes to the crunch. And, and you could look at the Cardinals in 2014. Went on a fantastic run. Carlson Bomber got injured. The Seahawks started, what was that, 3-2 three and two or 3-3 three and three or something like that. They ended up winning the division. Right. And they caught them up because of the Palmer injury and, and the Cardinals peaking a little too early. And there's definitely, when you look at the Niners, they have been amazing so far. But they also look a little bit like a team to me that they might just have a rough patch at some point because it's still, you know, there are still question marks about Jimmy Garoppolo and, and certain aspects about that team. Carl Shanahan's coaching his arse off at the moment, but there are, there are definitely, you know, there are definitely some things you think, yeah, you know what? could see that this is maybe their peak and that they'll come back and you can see the Rams going either way as well and you know they played in Atlanta today so it's not you don't get too much of a read on that they've brought in no. Jalen Ramsey so there's a chance there and if they win those games and if they finish strongly then they will they will be in the mix but the problem is is that your Minnesota game at home your Tampa Bay game at home your 49ers game at home they even the Cardinals game at home, they all kind of seem like games that could go either way. Mm-hmm. You know, they could be the kind of the, the one point win or it could be the one point loss or it could be a game like today. And it's going to make for an interesting, we'll, we'll go into every game. We'll never be bored. We'll go into every game sort of hoping and believing they can win. And some weeks we'll be sat here like we are now, Brandon, feeling a bit down in the dumps and, and reflecting on a, a horrible performance. Uh, there will also be some exciting, exhilarating wins. And Wilson will continue to produce those wins more often. 
better than not. But I think it's just a majorly disappointing thing this week because this felt like a winnable game. This felt, felt like a chance to keep the momentum going. It felt like it was a chance to have another week of everybody talking about Russell Wilson being the MVP. And all of that's been kind of snatched away. And what we're actually going to hear this week is a lot, of, probably a lot more doom and gloom and a lot of people second-guessing Pete Carroll and a lot of people... Um, like I have today, sort of talking about the holes in the team and the flaws. And until they hopefully beat the Falcons next week, we're not going to be able to move on. Now we just get to hear about how Lamar Jackson is MVP now for the next week, at least until Russell Wilson can get back out there and do well, uh, have another solid performance. It's, well, it's worse than that. Sadly, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Yeah, we'll have a week of that, I think. And um, you know, it's it's a frustrating feeling. I, I think it's it's just that this has been a weird season. It's kind of been a season where I don't know how you felt at the start of the year, but my personal sort of message on the blog was don't get your hopes up too high and kind of just enjoy every game. And while also predicting 10-6, which I thought was a, that would be a decent mark this year. Um, I think I went 11-5 and, and five too, and they're still on pace for that. Yeah, it's just, sure. you know, each one of these games, yes, they, they came out on top and they've been so close, but you talk about the turnover situation and you look at that Browns game and they needed every single one of those turnovers to go their way to come out with that win. Let, let, let me put it this way. Let, let's say instead of being... Five, uh, five and two right now. Let's say they were four and three sure. instead, but the losses were against the Steelers on the road with Big Ben playing the full game. Let's say, uh-huh. and then they lost the following week to Drew Brees. Sure, and then they came back strongly and and, and won the games they were supposed to win, uh, but lost to the Browns team on the road. Given what we knew, we were all thinking about the Browns before the season began, that we saw Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and Nick Chubb and Baker Mayfield and Miles Garrett and the cornerbacks and everything like that. Everybody's a, pre- you know, a lot of people felt that Cleveland were going to have a really good year. Yeah. So let's say that the three losses they, they won today, um, we'd be sitting here, I think at four and three, more positive than we <laughs> would be at five and two, having seen them hammered by the Saints and the Ravens at home. Yeah. Because kind of what five and what two and oh and five and one did was get everybody's hopes up and then those hopes were kind of crushed in games that we expected to win whereas if we'd have just won the games we were expected to win and lost the games we i think a lot of people expected them to lose they'd be sitting here at four and three and we'd be saying well this is kind of where we expected them to be and we always hope that they're going to have a strong end to the season yeah well the seahawks are five and two it's fine and uh, they get to go and play the falcons next week who uh, that uh Gosh, if they were now, if the Seahawks lose to the Falcons, Rob, what's going on? Yeah, it will be concerning if they lose to to the Falcons because Matt Ryan picked up an injury today, and um, if he's not playing and it's Matt Sharp, and given that their season is is virtually finished, I mean, I think they're one and one and six now. Um, Dan Quinn may even be fired this week. I mean, we need to wait and see what happens there. They've they've suffered big injuries to Keanu Neal and to guys on the offensive line. I mean, that will be a very very serious loss if they lose next week. You would hope that they would win. You would even hope that they beat Bruce old buddy Bruce Arians the following week. Tampa Bay looked horrible in in London last week but even that's a game that you know Bruce always brings his A game right. if they win the next two and get to 7-2 then you know what the, we'll quickly forget about this game I imagine but I think it would almost be wrong to do that to an extent because this is who they they're capable of having this happen to them now we've seen it twice at home 
this is who they are, I think it's a, it's a way of trying to minimise that moving forward and, and trying to progress in the second half of the year. And, uh, you know, eight days to go, I think off the back of this game, they will do something in terms of a trade. I don't know what, but I think they will do something between now and the end of the month. Let's trade Century Link Field for the Old Kingdom. We'll get this team back indoors, and uh, and then we can finish it out in, in just nice weather. Yeah, any any every little helps. <laughs> I need to do something to get this home uh, these home games won a, a little bit more often. Well, Rob, uh, really appreciate you coming on, breaking it down. Uh, I know if people want to check out some of the college football stuff, especially with the UW Ducks game over the weekend, you were breaking stuff down on the blog. Uh, so I know we didn't get to talk any, you know, much draft stuff, and we didn't get to talk any draft stuff in the show. So uh, if people want to go there, find it, uh, definitely go to SeahawksDraftBlog.com. Anything else coming up that you're writing about? Well, I think the one thing um, that usually cheers people up after a game like this is a mock draft. So it may be it may be time it may be time to rock out a mock draft this week and uh, and do an updated top fifty and try and change uh, change people's views away from the game onto something else and take the mind off it for a little bit. So we'll do that. Lots of college football, lots of Seahawks talk on the blog as well. Great community there. So come and join in, and uh, we talk about Seahawks every day. Who are you leaning toward for your number one right now, Rob? Number one overall. Yeah. Do you know why it's an interesting one? Because I'm not deciding because Tua T- Tagovailoa is the guy who most people say number one. But I, I just I don't understand why he's become this kind of franchise savior that the Miami Dolphin fans kind of are latching to, and why people have assumed that he will be that. Because I think teams are going to look at him and see left-handed, undersized a little bit robotic, very talented, very accurate, is doing well, but he gets to play with the load, most loaded roster in college football at Alabama. And I just wonder if teams will match him up a little bit with uh, with Justin Herbert, who had a good win of the weekend. And keep an eye on Joe Burrow, because he is playing very, very well for LSU. And, uh, you know, if he keeps winning and if he can beat Alabama, then uh, he's going to be a hot name. All right. Well, I'm going to be checking it out to see who you have in your top five for sure, Rob. Check that out. Follow you on Twitter at Rob Staten. And uh, we'll be looking for you again later this season, Rob. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Brandon. Once again, a huge thanks to Rob for coming on the show. And if you haven't yet subscribed to this show, go to SBNation.com forward slash NFL podcasts. If you find value in almost daily Seahawks podcasts and want to help support this effort, you can go to getintheflock.com and we'll give you a shout out on the next episode of the Seahawkers podcast. And be sure to bounce on over to fieldgoals.com. Check out Mookie Alexander's winners and losers from this game. A lot of members of the secondary showing up here, except for Tedrick Thompson, Marquise Blair, Trey Flowers, Shaquille Griffin, all showing up in the plus column. Jadevian Clowney showing up in the plus column as well. He looked active out there on the field, and that may have been a part of the factor of having Jaron Reed back in the lineup. And scrolling down to the losers column and scrolling and scrolling. It's uh, it's pretty in-depth right there. So you want to check that out. Fieldgoals.com, Mookie Alexander's winners and losers. Jackson Bevins also has his cigar thoughts for Game 7, a recap of the 30-16 to victory by the Ravens. And if you want to help contribute to the next show coming up, 3 in, 3 out with Clinton Bonner, we will talk about 3 ins and 3 outs from this game against the Ravens. Follow him on Twitter at Clinton Bonn. Use the hashtag 3i3o and tune in to see if your contributions make it into the final show. Stay tuned. Lots more to talk about in this week coming up. And we'll get on out of here. Go Hawks.